Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Hi, this is Bill Moomey from Lost in Space and Babylon 5, The Twilight Zone, etc. But what's more important than that is you're listening to The Dr. Sky Show. And that's a good thing, a real good thing. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our show. Always exciting guest here on this particular edition of our show. Ladies and gentlemen, a very special guest today. We'll be speaking with Bill Mummy, actor, musician, writer, and so much more, best remembered for his role as young Will Robinson on the television classic Lost in Space. Actor, musician, writer Bill Mummy was born back on February 1, 1954 in San Gabriel, California, after beginning his TV career at age five with an appearance on the series Riverboat. He went on to appear on countless programs in the years to follow, including great guest shots, on smashes like The Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. Mummy additionally made his film debut in the 1960s, The Wizard of Baghdad, going on to roles in, feature, in features including 1963's A Child is Waiting and 1965's Dear Brigitte. Also in 1965, he was cast on Lost in Space, remaining, of course with the cult favorite series until it ceased production three years later. He also has important stories to talk about Babylon 5. We're privileged and honored to have actor, musician, and writer Bill Mummy here to talk about his upcoming appearance at Comic-Con 13 this Memorial Day weekend at the Phoenix Convention Center. Bill, a real privilege and honor. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Dr. Sky. It's good to be with you. It's real good. You sound like a superhero. It's Dr. Sky. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like that. You know, that, that would make a good comic book character. Absolutely. They have to use you. <laughs> well, it's so wonderful to have you here. And as I was mentioning to the audio, to you off air, you know, when I was a kid, who, who wasn't a person as a young boy that wanted to be Will Robinson? And we're so grateful to be able to hear your story today. And in this short interview today, again, highlighting your appearance coming up here at the great Comic-Con, Comic-Con Phoenix, Comic-Con 13, this Memorial Day weekend at the Phoenix Convention Center. Bill, talk to us about how you actually got started in the show business world. And I understand from reading part of your bio, this was your interest in getting into this. It wasn't your parents. You know, like a lot of parents that want to force their kids to do this as actors and child models, you you wanted to pursue this career. That's absolutely true. Um, my parents uh, got married to each other kind of late in life. My mother was 41 years old when I was born. My dad was uh, 49. And uh, he was almost retired at that point in time. He was a pretty wealthy guy. Uh, I broke my leg when I was four years old playing Zorro. Ouch. <laughs> you might say it turned out to be a lucky break because while I was in the cast for several long weeks, uh, you know, not able to run around outside with my pals. Uh, I just sat around every day and waited for my favorite shows to come on the television set. Of course, we didn't have DVRs or anything you could, you know, watch whenever you wanted right. to. You just had to be patient and wait for your shows to come on. And I sat there watching George Reeves as Superman and Guy Williams as Zorro. And something about those caped adventurer 
superhero type characters just absolutely resonated within my very young being. And I was adamant about wanting to get inside the television set and be like Zorro or Superman. Uh, My mother uh, had worked as a writer's assistant at 20th Century Fox Studios for 11 years before she married my dad. Her father, my grandfather, Harry Gould, had been a successful agent in the uh, 30s and early 40s. His probably most high-profile client was Boris Karloff. And uh, he handled a lot of writers and directors, but some actors. And, you know, he uh, negotiated the Frankenstein deal and everything. And to to make a long story short, uh, my family wasn't intimidated by, impressed with, or, you know, in the show business was just a natural thing. It wasn't a big deal. We lived in West Los Angeles near all the studios. I was an only child. And uh, my father's perspective was, well, you know, if, if that's really what he wants to do and you want to take him to my mom, then go ahead and see what happens. Sure. So, uh, you know, you can't escape your destiny. Uh, my mother wisely uh, signed me up for uh, a show called Romper Room, which was basically just a regular kind of a preschool television show. I think it was syndicated all over the country. No, I remember you know, it well. Absolutely. Yeah, regular civilians. You weren't necessarily a, <laughs> you know, entertainer to be on Romper Room, but she did that to, to see if I would be comfortable under the lights and with a camera on me and stuff, which I thought was smart when I look back on it. And I was very comfortable, and I actually stayed for an extra session on Romper Room. And so we uh, got an agent and started working, and Bob's your uncle. Well, Bill, I say this because I spent a very short time, and I don't want to spend time on my life here. This is an interview about your very interesting career, which continues in force even as we're speaking today. And absolutely, always young and always thinking about the next thing to do here, the next new thing. I spent a little time in television uh, doing commercials with an agent, and I realized the only reason I'm mentioning it, just to have you comment on it further, is to me it was extremely, you know, a lot of pressure. You know, obviously when you go in for those auditions and interviews, you know, I was rejected a lot of times, and I'll be very honest with you about that. I didn't get the part, but isn't that difficult, obviously, for any kid uh, out there when you're young, handling the rejection and going through the pace? You're the person who succeeded. Uh, give some advice out there, because I'm sure a lot of parents who listen to the program, they say, you know, I may want to get my Johnny or Jeannie into show business. Uh, any advice? Well, you know, I'm, I, I would imagine that my best advice would be, you know, follow the energy of your children, not follow the energy of your own ego. There you um, go. My parents were very uh, supportive of my choices. If I didn't get a part, that it just was no big deal. Nobody put pressure on me. Um, for better or worse, I got so many. <laughs> I was very <laughs> prolific as a youngster. So, you know, I mean... Uh, Yes, the audition process can be stressful, whether you're, you know, 50 or whether you're five. But uh, the, you know, some people have uh, certain gifts that they just are given. Maybe you can make a great Caesar salad. Maybe you can throw a baseball straight and fast. Maybe you can memorize dialogue and say it believably. Or maybe you can play the accordion, whatever it might be. We all have our gifts. And uh, and I think that you know I truly had those gifts to to act to become another character and to kind of it was it was always very easy for me to memorize a lot of dialogue quickly no no stress to 
to do that. It was just very easy. And I liked the process of, of, you know, pretending to be other people. And I was very fortunate to work in so many different uh, arenas of acting as a, as a kid. You know, one sure. week I would be, you know, a scary mutant on the Twilight Zone. Then I'd go do a Walt Disney movie for a couple of months. Then I'd come back and, you know, be unbewitched. Or then I'd go do a Western with some, you know, I mean, I, I got to work in all those different categories with so many great actors and, and actresses and directors that uh, it was really, it was a blessing. We didn't want to be tied down to a television series until Lost in Space came along. And when it did, it was exactly like the reason I wanted to be an actor in the first place. You know, Will Robinson was yes. like Zorro or Superman. He was a superhero, basically. Folks, if you're just joining us here, Bill Mummy, actor, musician, and writer, and so much more, is joining us here on our special edition of our show today. He's also talking about his upcoming appearance, which we'll get to here in a moment, Phoenix Comic Con 13 taking place this Memorial Day weekend at the Phoenix Convention Center. Interesting enough, as time flies, as our special guest will tell us in a little while, this is the 20th anniversary of Babylon 5, a reunion that also takes place this Saturday, 5 p.m. to 6.30, at the Comic-Con event taking place in Phoenix. Yeah, that, so blows, I wonder, my, that blows my mind. You know, yeah, when, isn't you, it when someone reminds me that Lost in Space was... 40 years ago, you know, I know it was the 1960s, and I know I was a kid, so certainly, and I have great affection for all those people, we still get together socially often, um, but uh, when you tell me it was 20 years ago that we started Babylon 5, that right. blows my mind, because there, you know, I was I was an adult, I was settled in, My I had my, my son was a, a baby when we started the show, my daughter was born on the second season of that show, but when I think 20 awesome. years has passed, that went by really quick, <laughs> really quick, but it'll be nice to get together with everybody from the cast, and, oh, and I'm Joe sure Straczynski, and it'll be it's fun, really I look forward to seeing everybody. Let's talk about the Twilight Zone, one particular episode that I'm just so enamored with and so many people. It's a good life. You know it. You were there in it. Airing November 3rd, 1961, you're Anthony Fremont in the little town of what? Peaksville, Ohio. That's right. For anybody out there, shame on you if you haven't seen this episode. But to me, this is like what? The, the Time Magazine, I understand, rates this the number three in the best of all the episodes of the Twilight Zone. But tell us a little bit about that episode because, boy, I'll tell you, the angles of the camera, your energy, that whole episode to me is like, boy, that, that really trade stamp marked you uh, and, and stamped you on the, you know, in, in memoryville there. I can't forget that one. Well, it's, it's good you can't forget it. It's real good. <laughs> you get a get-out-of-the-cornfield-free card, Dr. Sky. Uh, you know, I mean, Anthony Fremont is certainly an iconic character, and I'm lucky to have played him and... Uh, uh, I did three of the original Twilight Zones, then a cameo in the feature film, and then I wrote one of the uh, revised series. And then we returned to that character and that show with Cloris Leachman and my own daughter, Liliana, for a sequel 40 years later called It's Still oh. a Good Life, which was really uh, a special, special treat for me to go back with Cloris to that character. And, but in terms of the original episode, it, it, yes. I think most all the Twilight Zones hold up really, really well. Uh, Rod Serling was such a singular talent and so grateful that I spent some time with him and knew him briefly, even though I was little. And uh, James Sheldon directed that episode, uh, and I worked with him several times when I was young, and he was a wonderful director and very, very pleasant to hang around. 
Cloris Leachman is a gift to any actor who gets the opportunity to work alongside her for she's so great and she bumps your game up. And even though I was, I guess, six, maybe seven when we made that show or seven when yes. it aired, I, uh, I learned a lot from her. She taught me things at that early age. She's still a good friend of mine. I see her somewhat often and and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, I'm not ashamed or, you know, mm-hmm. puffed up to say that's a really good television show. No, it's an awesome experience. Just a little bit more, if you can tell us, Rod Serling, amazing man from what I've read. You've met him. Tell us a little bit about him. Any story or something? Well, what's interesting to me in my recollections of Mr. Serling is that uh, in other instances, when the producer creator the boss of a television series comes on to the set. Uh, people in the crew and the cast, they usually get a little uptight. You know what I mean? Like when Irwin Allen would walk on the Lost in Space set, everybody was like, oh, attention, Irwin's here. You know, and, 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 but with uh, Mr. Serling, when he came on the sets of the Twilight Zones, everybody in the crew was really happy and and at ease and very pleased to see him there. They all wanted to discuss upcoming episodes that uh, he was working on. In essence, he was the star of the the Twilight Zone because there was no regular cast members. So ergo, you don't have that potential for egos to get kind of out of control on a television series because people were working for, you know, three or four days. And exactly. then there would be a whole new cast. So the only regulars on the Twilight Zone were the crew and 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 the and Rod Serling. So I remember him being on this set. I remember him telling jokes. I remember him being a very light presence. And when you see him, he seems pretty brooding and dark and perhaps kind of moody. But uh, I, I recall him being very, very light on the set. Everybody very comfortable sure. in his presence. And... Uh, the first episode of The Twilight Zone I did, which was called Long Distance Call, the story about a little boy whose dying grandmother gives him a toy telephone, then she oh, dies, nice. and then he speaks to her from the great beyond, and she tries to get him to join her in the afterlife. Um, mm. When we were filming that, Rod Serling came onto the set, and he had there was something about this big climactic scene that didn't feel right to him, and we just stopped production for about 45 minutes or so when he mm-hmm. walked over to the corner of the soundstage and rewrote this great scene. And we shot it the way he rewrote, rewrote it immediately, and it was just you know so cool because it was much better. <laughs> he really made <laughs> it better quickly. He was cool. That's, I mean, it's not like he and I went out for margaritas after <laughs> after we wrapped every day as I was, you know, seven years old or something. But uh, but he must have liked me because I went Bill. back three times. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all-natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. I'm really privileged to have you here, Bill Mummy, actor, musician, and writer, and so much more. We're reminiscing literally, ladies and gentlemen, about time and space, and no pun intended, but yes, we're talking now about this very amazing television series in American television, Lost in Space. This is how I really came to know you and so many other people through our television sets, and Talk about that, because to me, that has to be another amazing part. As the space program is going on, we're racing to the moon. So many similarities here, but talk to us a little bit about your role in that. I mean, that would take hours, but some of the highlights. I could, I could, I could babble on sure. about Lost in Space for a long time. <laughs> yeah. um, 
the, the part of Will Robinson was offered to me. I didn't audition for it. I was mm-hmm. extremely happy to, to, to fall into that project. My family lived less than a mile from the studio. I used to ride my bike, <laughs> my Schwinn oh, cool. Ray, to the studio half the time. Um, you know, Will Robinson was everything I wanted to get into television to be. He was really smart. He was really capable. He could program the robot. He could fly the ship. He saved everybody's butt week after week. He had these cool little superhero outfits. He had a laser gun, and he used it several times, which I I like. Um, who wouldn't like Will Robinson? And all of those people are are that are still with us are are dear like family to me, and we all get together often. Uh, it was a wonderful. Three and a half years, and I never had a bad day on Lost in Space. And quite honestly, I would uh, I would return to that character this afternoon if the opportunity presented it itself. See, folks, now that's an interesting statement from the man who did it and the man who continues to talk about it. Uh, Bill Mummy here is our special guest. You know, I understand from all the actors that you obviously have that are still with us, you obviously have a close relationship with. If you would, sir, just talk with talk with us. That is a little bit about Jonathan Harris. I know that there's a special bonding that was between the two of you. And if you'd like to share some of that with the audience, I'm sure they'd like to hear that. Yes, indeed. He was a one of a kind. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Jonathan Harris. <laughs> How can you speak of Jonathan Harris without great expletives of wonder? Um, Jonathan single-handedly created the character of Dr. Smith. Uh, he was brought on the show to be a snarling one-dimensional saboteur villain, and he very wisely understood that that would get boring and he would probably be written off or killed off in a handful of episodes. So he slowly started to turn him into the character we love to hate, (laughs) you know, that with all of the uh, alliterative insults that he threw at the robot, you bubble-headed booby, um, etc. They were all written by Jonathan. He used to... uh, just completely rewrite his dialogue. And, and somewhere midway through the first season, he was called into Irwin Allen, our creator, producer, his office. And uh, Irwin Allen said to Jonathan, hey, I know what you're doing. Do it more. <laughs> it was a very interesting, very specific period in time, that mid-60s period. I mean, if you look at Lost in Space, which started in 1965 as a black-and-white adventure ensemble show of this family against the alien environments that they faced, it kind of quickly became, as it went to the second season and we went to this wow color version, uh, it became this kind of campy pop art piece, which was 1966, 1967, um, and we reflected that that cultural change, uh, and it, it, it went to the extreme for a while. Uh, and, and then by the third season, uh, we did 80, 84 episodes, and by the third season, I think it was more of an amalgam of both. It kind of became sci-fi and comedy at the same time. And Will Robinson, my character, was really the grounding force throughout all of those episodes because I always played it straight whether sure did. you know whether the robot was you know <laughs> wearing some scarecrow outfit or dr smith was acting <laughs> like a you know a maniac it, 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 i always played it straight will always believed the environment that he was in so i think that that's why uh it's it's kind of seen through his eyes more than anyone else's 
No, I'm curious about this. You're on the set, of course, uh, in in this particular uh, you know, series, 80, 83 and then 84 episodes, as you described to us. Describe that set, because if you look into the background, is that a wall with a painting? I mean, how, how large a set is this, or were there multiple sets for this? We had three permanent sound stages at 20th Century Fox. It was a great great studio and a great time to be there. There were so many wonderful productions going on every week, every month. But we had three stages permanently, and um, what is now known as Century City in, in Los Angeles was most of our back lot, where we also shot a lot of our exterior stuff. Uh, you know, there was the interior stage where we had the upper deck of the Jupiter 2 uh, and that little camp scene around it, you know, with the sand and yes. the bad foam rubber rocks, and yes, then there was a big canvas painting around that, and then there was an, another set that had the lower deck of the Jupiter 2 on it, and uh, other uh, interiors that we would use for different places we went into, and then we had another set that had like the space pod and blah, 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 blah. We had three of them, and it was... Oh, uh, amazing. You know, Irwin Allen's uh, designs that were actually done by a guy named Paul Zastputnevich. <laughs> what a name. I'll, I'll, I'll quiz you on that later. Um, <laughs> there you go. Anyway, uh, the, you know, he had a, a tendency to really make his pilots wonderful. Our music was mm-hmm. done by John Williams. You know, the, the oh, robot... Wonderful. The robot was designed by uh, Robert Kinoshita, who had also designed Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet. The props, the ship, the chariot, the robot, etc., the costumes, the laser guns, it all looked great. And uh, he spent a lot of money on his pilots, and he cast his projects, I think, really well, if I do say so myself. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as we progressed on to weekly television, he got... <laughs> he got a lot cheaper. <laughs> yes. We used to, to share a, a stage. You know, there were two stages within this one kind of building. We would share stage 10 and 11 with Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, another Irwin Allen production. And I swear to you, this is true. He'd have some poor stuntman in a you know rubber wetsuit with a mask on being some underwater creature in in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and he would literally just walk that guy over to our stage and then spray paint him like orange or silver. Wow. <laughs> and we'd so use him as our monster talking about of the a week. good budget. I love it. Yeah. Because we also had uh, David Hedison of the uh, sure. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea here, another great uh, personality. But I, in this limited time that we have, I want to try to get so much in here, and I appreciate your guest appearance here today. Talk a little bit about Bob May inside the uh, robot, and also, I guess, Dick Tufeld. Is he the gentleman who does the voice of the robot, correct? Yep. Uh, Bobby and Dick and Jonathan are no longer on this plane of reality, but uh, they were great. And, and, and Bobby worked was really the unsung hero of the show. He worked really, really, really hard. Uh, he loved being inside that prop. And believe me, I was in there once or twice. It's incredibly claustrophobic and weird. There's all these wires and electricity and charges and batteries running right around your head. And certainly it took uh, special effects guys, you know, they had to get him in and out of it. You couldn't get out of it yourself. Um, It was a, I I couldn't have done it, but Bobby really brought character to the robot. He invented that kind of the way he would twist his bubble and flail his arms around. (laughs) He he memorized all of the dialogue and and he, he gave us all of the robot's dialogue on set. 
And of course, you know, it sounded like a, a guy inside of a box. So it was re-recorded by uh, Dick Tufeld, who was a fantastic uh, voiceover artist and oh, a great amazing. guy and a real jazz connoisseur. He was actually really, really good friends with Miles Davis, which is uh, an interesting thing to to be able to say, because I don't think many people can say they were friends with Miles Davis. But Dick Tufeld well, that's was. why I'm very fortunate to have you as a guest to hear all these different stories and amazing things going on here. And I saw just one thing, Bill, a, pa- a painting done, very high-class painting. It shows a desert landscape with the Jupiter II in the distance and the C-57 Starship from Forbidden Planet. In a 57 Chevy, we have the two robots driving off into the sunset. I thought that was an amazing <laughs> piece of artwork. No, that sounds great. We had Robbie the Robot do two. He guest he starred on two episodes of Lost in Space. Ah. It, was, it was good to have him around. Well, in our last few moments with you, and again, I appreciate your time, let's talk about the main reason, of course, for your appearance, Phoenix Comic Con 13. Again, ladies and gentlemen, this coming Memorial Day weekend, the event begins May the 23rd through the 26th at the Phoenix Convention Center. Our special guest, Bill Mummy, will be there because of another special event, the 20th anniversary of Babylon 5, a reunion that takes place Saturday, 5 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. at Comic Con. But Talk about, in the last few moments, Babylon 5. I I get this main theme, and I wonder if you agree, Bill. The main theme that I get is sacrifice for a greater cause is one of the themes that I get out of Babylon 5. You were there for so long. Tell us a bit about it. Well, I was there for five years, and and like uh, the Twilight Zone, Babylon 5 is really uh, one man's vision. The way the Twilight Zone was Rod Serling's, Babylon 5 is uh, Joe Straczynski's. Uh, He was the creator, and he kind of upped the ante for sci-fi shows because uh, Babylon 5, although things changed uh, over the course of the, the project... It was uh, largely in place. The whole arc of all five seasons and the arcs of the characters were largely in place from the beginning. And uh, there were major swings and major arcs for all of these characters. So you have to applaud somebody who persisted in maintaining his original vision and telling it like a novel. In fact, uh, when Babylon 5 finished the fifth season... uh, the networks and Warner Brothers wanted to carry on, and, and Joe's attitude was, "No, this is this is the story I set out to tell, and I've told it, and I'm not going to milk it any further." Yes. Uh, for me, playing the alien Lanier was tough. You know, physically, I I, uh, I had to undergo a lot of time in the makeup chair and wear this <laughs> alien. Oh wow! Film. Yeah. You know, it was it was uh, it was a physically a challenge that I never really got too acclimated to uh, wearing that alien stuff. But the character was a great, Lanier was a great character to play, and uh, it was, uh, you know, I'm proud and to be a part of that project. Absolutely. As we are proud to have you here today, sir, and let's talk a little bit in the few moments we have left. Your music career is another spinoff, and probably a lot of things that people don't know about Bill Mummy. Talk about that, because that also occupies your time uh, well, a lot. That's of my that is my main uh, you know artistic alley that I'm I'm in and and for you know I started playing guitar when I was ten. There are several episodes of Lost in Space where Little Will Robinson is out there strumming a guitar, you know, singing old folk songs in Lost mm-hmm. in Space. So it goes way back to that. Um, my next solo album is called Illuminations. It'll be out at, at the end of June. I'm working on two new videos for that right now. Uh, I'm writing a comic book called The Curse of the Mummy on Blue Water Press. I do a weekly radio show called The Real Good Radio Hour. 
I'm pretty busy doing voiceovers and animation, and uh, where I just finished a, I'm a recurring character on a show called Bravest Warriors that my daughter Liliana is the star of, and uh, you know, it's uh, I'm still pretty busy and enjoying uh, all of these different arenas of showbiz I get to play in. Well, Bill, it's a real privilege and honor, as I mentioned before. This audience, I'm sure, learned so much, as I did in this interview. I hope we can talk again. But tell us one sure. more time, real, the Real Good Radio Hour. People can go to their smartphone, their you know, iPhone. The Real Good Radio Hour is actually on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock, uh, regardless of what coast you happen to be on. Uh, it's uh, www.ksavkesave.org. Uh, but it's all the shows are archived. I've done about 125 of hours of the Real Good Radio Hour, and it's really it just focuses on different styles of music or different lyrical themes each week. A uh, little bit of information about the artists, past and present, and uh, hope it turns people on to some real good music they might not be familiar with, and brings mm-hmm. back some old friendly uh, favorites that they may not have heard for a while. To learn much more, ladies and gentlemen, about Bill Mummy, actor, musician, and writer, and all the things that he's currently involved in, his flagship website is www.billmummy.com. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget the main reason that we had our special guest here today and appreciate his time more than you can imagine, folks out there. Busy schedule, busy man. Phoenix Comic-Con 13 taking place May the 23rd through the 26th here in Phoenix at the Phoenix Convention Center. To learn much more about tickets and availability, go to www.phoenixcomiccon.com. Dot com. And ladies and gentlemen, it's always amazing to have guests that talk about the realms of astronomy, space, aviation, and weather, the good stuff of DrSky.com and DrSky.tv. Bill, thank you so much for staying with us. If, if you'll be kind enough to uh, stay with us just a few moments off air as we sure. approach the top of the hour. Appreciate our time today, ladies and gentlemen, with Bill Mummy, actor, musician, writer, and of course, Will Robinson. I always wanted to be Will Robinson. I'm sure so many young boys out there. You've really uh, made me so thrilled, sir, to be able to hear your story. And I want to thank you so much for being part of our show today. Well, I had a real good time. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back with more interesting programming right after these breaks here at the top of the hour. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.